Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Chapter 10, verse 17 to 27. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these have I, I have kept since I was a boy. <coughs> Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Thanks, Shannon. We're going to look at a story now of a man who encounters Jesus in the scriptures, uh, but his life isn't changed. His heart wasn't open to what Jesus wanted to do in his life. And so it's an interesting story uh, which we can learn lots from. The story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where I've had Shannon read out Mark's uh, version of it. And so we learn a lot about this guy. I want to give you some background about him. Uh, First of all, we learn that he's young. Uh, Matthew tells us that. And it's not surprising because in verse 17, it says he runs up to Jesus and calls him teacher. And you would only call someone teacher, you know, if someone was older than you and you respected them as teacher. And uh, so Jesus was around 30 years old when this story happens. So he must be young. The second thing we learn from Luke's gospel is he's a ruler. He has a position of authority. He has people under him. He's been successful. He's worked his way up the career ladder and done well for himself, even though he's young. The story throughout then tells us that he's rich. In verse 22, the translation should be exceedingly rich. He's done super well for himself. You know, he lives in Dorky and has a flat in the IFSC. You know, he's that kind of a person. He's wedged up. He's a rich young ruler. He has everything. That's what we all want, isn't it? But not only that, he's not only like just this amazing guy with great career, great finances, uh, great respect in the community. He's annoyingly good at everything, and he's nice. Nothing worse than that, is there? You know? You notice he runs up to Jesus and kneels? Kneels down. He calls him good teacher. His status and position hasn't made him proud. He's humble. He's sincere. It makes you sick when you meet people like this. But there's more. It gets worse. He's moral. Oh, these people wind you up, don't they? He's young. He's a ruler. He's rich. He's nice. And he's moral. Do you see that? It says in verse 20 that he's tried to obey the commandments. He has a sense of right and wrong. I imagine he's a bit like you and me. He's not perfect, but, you know, he's a nice guy, and, he, and, and he's tried his best to be a moral person. Interestingly, he's not satisfied. 
Verse 17, he runs up to Jesus, kneels down, and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's funny, isn't it? You can have everything this world offers, and it still not be enough. That's the guy in the story. Have you ever had that feeling? You've got what you wanted, you've achieved some goals, you've, you've had some amazing moment, and, oh, and it's still not enough. That's what this guy's like. Great family, great job, nice lifestyle, good friends, success in the area that you want to be successful, living a moral life that no one can really condemn you for, and it's not enough. And the reason it's not enough is he has this burning question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a massive question. What will I be doing two minutes after I've died? Do you know the answer to that question? I mean, I wouldn't be satisfied if I didn't know the answer. That's a huge question every single person in this world must have an answer to. What's going to happen after I die? And he's desperate. I tell you, he runs to Jesus. You should be desperate to get an answer to that question. Absolutely desperate. Kneels down. So this young man, he's worked hard for himself and a lot of money, gained a position of authority, is a nice moral guy, is not satisfied because he has a question about eternal life, what happens after he dies that he doesn't have an answer to. And he thinks if anyone in this world should have an answer, it's Jesus, which is interesting. He thinks Jesus might have the answer to these huge questions of life. But he, gets, he makes a huge mistake. Do you see the mistake there in verse 17? What must I do? There it is. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, this guy had always been told, if you want to achieve in life, if you want to work your way up the career ladder, this is what you do. This is what pleases your boss. This is what makes society impressed with you. This is what you do. So, well, Jesus, what do I do? It's a huge mistake. You know, most people I speak to in Dublin make the same mistake about Christianity. And they say, look, Steve, surely what God really wants is just to try and live a good life. Or, okay, well, look, um, you know, I, I just do everything I can, those sides shouldn't have been next to each other, to live a good life. I'm nice to people, the golden rule, do to others as you, do. I, I try to do that. I'm going to put the microphone down. You know, I was baptized as a baby or maybe an adult. Surely that gets me there. I did my first Holy Communion, done, tick the box. I do try and obey the Ten Commandments. You know, I think I know most of them. There's one about father and mother. I try that one. I go to church. My friend gets baptized or Christmas and Easter, funerals. I read my Bible and I do this bit now and again. I cry out to God. I say some prayers and I sort of say, is someone there when I'm having a moment of doubt? People think, you know, that's what, that's what you know, in a way, Santa's like, God is like Santi, you know? Have you been good this year? If you have, you'll get presents. That's how people think. You know, golden rule, golden God. Do it to others as, as you'd have them do to you, and God will be good to you. A modern view of young people in America, but I think it's true increasingly of Europe, uh, that summarized the, a young people's view of Christianity was this moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, be good. Therapeutic, feel good. Deism, some distant God, if he's there, will be good to me. That's what people think Christianity is about. Be moral, feel good, and God, if he's there, will be good to you. That's what this, what this guy thought. What must I do? And Jesus is brilliant. He doesn't force himself upon the man. He doesn't want to embarrass the man, but he doesn't want to expose his faulty thinking. And he's gracious and loving, yet firm and truthful, and gives him three opportunities to figure it out. Here's strike one. Why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. Notice how Jesus answers a question with a question. He wants the guy to think for himself. I'm not going to tell him everything. Why would you call me? You see, in the Jewish scriptures, there's only one being in the whole universe that is completely pure and, mor- and, and has no malice and is only loving and only kind, and that is God. And there's no one else in the world who can say, I am good to the very core. So Jesus is saying, look, mate, if you're calling me good, are you saying that I'm God? He's getting the guy to think. Who, who do you say I am? He's also getting the guy to think, if you're calling me good, and there's only one person in the whole universe who's good in their very inner, complete being, then you're not. So why do you think you'll ever be good enough? I'm, are you saying I'm God? Do you realize you're not good enough? And so he gives him strike one, without belittling him, without embarrassing him, but wanting him to think for himself. But the man is still confident. Give me the red carpet, Jesus. Show me how to get to heaven. What's the ladder? What steps do I need to go to? So Jesus has a second strike. Strike two. Well, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Mother. Simple. Obey the commandments and you get eternal life. But hang on a minute. Like, you don't even have to go to church every week to see there's not 10 there. And what about that defraud? I don't remember Moses ever writing, do not defraud into the Ten Commandments. If Jesus is a good teacher, and if he's the Son of God, and does, why has he forgotten the Ten Commandments? Surely that's pretty, pretty basic stuff, isn't it not? You see, the Ten Commandments are split into two. The first four are to do with loving God, vertical, with your heart, mind, soul, mind, uh, heart heart, mind, soul, and strength. The next six are to do with your loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, social, the social horizontal ones. Jesus lists five out of six horizontal ones and doesn't mention any of the vertical ones. Do you notice the one he missed out? He misses out number 10. Don't covet. In other words, don't be greedy. And that's why he adds in do not defraud, which isn't a commandment. It's what a covetous, greedy person would do. If their heart is covetous, they'd defraud someone to make money. You can imagine the man. And that's why, by the way, Jesus missed off the first four commandments, which are to do with love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. The guy hadn't loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He'd loved his money with all he'd got. You can imagine the man going, does he know what I'm like? Does he see the bits in me that no one else, does he know what's really going on in my heart and my motivations? Does he know my greed? Like, I'm a decent person. I'm a polite. My mum thinks I'm a nice person. You know, does he see past all that? I've tried to live the good life. He's standing before Jesus. He's on strike two of three. Jesus, who clearly knows what he's doing, has missed out lots of the commandments and added one in because he's trying to get to the person, to, to the man's heart. What's he going to do? What's the man going to do? Well, he's a fool. Jesus is interested in our hearts, you see. He's a fool. He tries to bluff his way out. He says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. How stupid. Standing before Jesus, he knows everything in your heart. He's just given you two strikes. And you try and get away without, without confessing your sin. How stupid. Don't we all do that? We don't really want anyone to know what's really going on. We want to hide. We want to have excuses. We want to pretend. We want to push things under the carpet. We don't want to come into the open. We don't want to swallow our pride. You know, all these I've kept since I was a boy. How stupid. 
What does Jesus do next? He's given him two chances. Well, not, you're, you're, only God is good. Why do you call me good? You know, have you obeyed these commandments? He gives him a third one. Strike three, he goes to the issue. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus has gone to the issue of his heart. He knows that this man loves money more than he loves God. And he couldn't contemplate loving God and his neighbor if it meant giving up his money and having his lifestyle affected. See, this guy couldn't bluff Jesus. And he stands completely exposed before Jesus. You know, I, I, I did the equivalent of my um, leaving uh, junior cert uh, um, German mock exam many years ago. And I remember going into this German mock exam and I hadn't done enough revision and I wasn't that good at German. And so what I did is I took in some paper and put it on my lap. And I wasn't very good at cheating, so it was in a different color pen and everything. It was just a disaster waiting to happen. And I was there, and I was going through my notes. And then I heard the breathing. And there was my German teacher looking over. And I was completely exposed. I had no defense. I was guilty, and I was caught, and I couldn't bluff. That's this man. That's one day every single one of us before Jesus. There'll be no excuses. There'll be no chance to go, but you'll be... You'll be exposed, naked. You can't hide from him. We all think we can cover up. We try to cover up. We say we're good. We, we, we have all these good works. We try to deceive other people. You can't deceive Jesus. We all have something that comes first in our lives in place of God, something from which we derive security, satisfaction, and significance. It may not be money. It may be achievement, comfort, looks, relationships, popularity, fitting in, a good degree. Lena talked about sports. Jesus knows what it is in your heart that is stopping you put Jesus first. And he wants to talk to you about it. Because he wants to free you from something that will never, ever satisfy you. As Lena and Grace and Katie all described so well. You see, on the outside, the rich young ruler seems so good. But on the inside, he has no desire for God at all. On the outside, he seems so moral. But on the inside, there's greed and envy. Underneath all his good deeds and good life is a self-serving agenda. This is the key. He doesn't want Jesus for Jesus. He wants Jesus to serve his own agenda. That's what a lot of people do with Christianity. I don't want Jesus for, I just want Jesus to help me get up my, whatever I want, trying to get up whatever ladder I'm trying to climb. He doesn't want Jesus for his own sake. He wants Jesus to serve his agenda. In other words, Jesus could never be his Lord and Savior. This man was always going to remain in charge of his own life. He wasn't going to give up control. So even though he runs, even though he kneels down, he actually doesn't want Jesus. He wants Jesus to give him what he wants. He hasn't given up control. And, you know, we're all going to stand there like the rich young ruler one day before Jesus. And we won't be good enough because only God is good. We won't have obeyed the Ten Commandments and he'll miss off probably all of them to expose us. And we'll be there and we'll be speechless and we'll have no defense. And suddenly the question of what must I do to inherit eternal life fades away because there's nothing you can do and you'll know it. And what a fearful day that promises to be for anyone who tries to get in on their own merit and bluff Jesus. It's a fearful day. But look what Jesus says there. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And a better translation of the Greek is gazed. It wasn't a quick look. It was a loving gaze. So this man is completely exposed 
and yet he's completely love. And this is the wonderful truth of the Christian faith and what separates Jesus from every other figure in history. He knows exactly what you're like. He knows exactly the evil in all of our hearts. And he looks at you and he sees all that and he gazes with love. He doesn't want to run away. He doesn't want to banish you. He doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to embrace you. You know, it's one of the most powerful things in life for someone to know everything about you, all those dark areas of your life, weaknesses, failures, temptation, and then to embrace you and love you. Let me tell you a story who understood this, of a woman who had understood this for herself. In an emotionally charged courtroom, a South African woman stood with her silent tears, listening to white police officers acknowledge their atrocities. Officer Van der Broek admitted that he'd shot her 18-year-old son at point-blank range. Then he and others partied while they burned her son's body, turning it over and over until it was reduced to ashes. Eight years later, Van der Broek and his associates returned to seize the husband. She was forced to watch while they poured gasoline over him and set him on fire. As the flames consumed her husband, her husband's last words were simply, forgive them. Now, Van der Broek awaited judgment. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission of South Africa asked the woman what she wanted. Calmly weeping, she said, I want three things. I want Mr. Van der Broek to take me to the place where they buried my husband's body so I can gather up the dust and give him a proper burial. Secondly, Mr. Van der Broek took all my family from me. And I still have a lot of love to give. So twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. Third, I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that he's forgiven by God and that I forgive him. I would like to embrace him so that he will know my forgiveness is real. As the elderly woman walked slowly across the courtroom, Officer Vanderbrook stood to receive her embrace and fainted. He was overwhelmed by the spiritual power of this African woman. In the back of the courtroom, someone began singing, Amazing Grace. In verse 21 of Mark chapter 10, we have the essence of the Christian faith. Jesus looks at us, and we have evil in us like Vanderbrook had, and he embraces us, and he loves us. It's called Amazing Grace. And when you get it, it transforms your heart so that people faint in courtrooms. The difference with the man in our story is he wouldn't receive that grace and his heart didn't melt. Do you see verse 22? It goes on and says, At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The love and acceptance of Jesus hadn't melted his heart. He still loved his money. He still loved his reputation, his status, his security more. So he went away sad. Jesus then gives a commentary on what's just happened. Jesus looked at and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, for those that are rich, particularly those that are rich and religious, who've tried to live good lives like this young man, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. It's like a ca- trying to get a camel through an eye of a needle. It's not wrong to be rich, but money has the power to blind you, make you proud, arrogant, and self-reliant, and therefore you don't need God. Just like beauty, success, comfort, popularity, and power, money can become a great snare that hardens your heart to receiving God's grace because you think you don't need it. That's the man in the story. So the disciples, what do they say? The disciples are even more amazed and said to each other, 
Well, if a good, moral, rich guy can't be saved, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It is impossible for man, but it's not impossible for God. You see, there's an irony in the whole story. Did you spot it at the beginning? What do you ever do to inherit something? You don't do anything. You're part of a family and someone dies. How do you inherit eternal life? You become part of God's family. How? Someone dies. Five chapters later, Mark chapter 15, Jesus is going to look out at his perpetrators and see all their evil. And he's going to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's going to take all of our sin, our failures, our darkness, our rebellion, our pride, our envy, our greed, our lust, our everything. And he's going to take it into himself on the cross and be punished for our sin. So we can be forgiven. That even though we're completely exposed, we don't need to have fear because there's no condemnation for those that have put their trust in Christ. He's going to rise three days later from the dead and say, death doesn't have to scare you. You can have an answer to that question. When you die, it's like falling asleep and going to be with your Father in heaven for those that trust in me. And this rich young ruler wouldn't accept it. I wonder, will you? Whether you call yourself a Christian here today or not, what is first in your heart? What is Jesus knows, and he's talking to you. And he says, will you give it up? Will you put me first? Has he won your heart? And just to provoke you, every one of us is building our lives around something to give us that meaning, joy, significance, hope, satisfaction. Has it given it you? The rich young ruler thought he had everything and it wasn't enough. Will you admit that this life will never give you everything you want and you need to put your hope in someone who comes from outside of this life to fill your heart with a joy and a hope and a meaning that you could never find through your own effort. Christianity is not about being good. It's about letting Jesus in when you know you're not good. This man externally is very good, but he wouldn't let Jesus into the bits of his life that aren't good, will you? If you will, you can have a freedom, a joy, a peace, and you can have eternal life. You can celebrate with confidence. You can stand up in front of whatever, 80, 100 people, and say, I'm giving my allegiance to Jesus. I have confidence in him. Um, but uh, let's, uh, let's stand and I'll pray. Just take a moment, if you're comfortable, just to close your eyes where you are. Uh, you don't have to, but if you're comfortable, just close your eyes. And, um, and uh, just take a moment to think where you stand with Jesus. And he wants to speak to you. He wants to ask you questions. He wants to, you to know how much he loves you. Father, we thank you for this amazing story. We thank you for the three girls today that have stood up and said, I've been changed by Jesus. And my hope, my identity, my joy, my future, my eternity, my confidence is all in him. We thank you, Lord, that you still transform lives today. We thank you for the, the, the Bible, Lord, which speaks to our lives today as if it was written today. Of this man who had everything and yet it wasn't enough. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't brush all our stuff under the carpet and say it doesn't matter. You say, yeah, we need to talk about the junk. But you look at us and you love us and you want to help us through all that. And I pray we'd let you in. I pray for those of us that know you, we would never get tired of going, Jesus, what's first in my heart? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to have an open hand over? Where have I put my joy and my confidence that's not you? 
And I pray for any here who don't know you, Lord, that thank you that they've come and I pray you'd bless them and they'd know that, 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 that the Christian life is about a joy and a peace and a freedom that is found through your Holy Spirit. Um, and we pray that in, in Jesus' name. Amen.